Well, good morning. Welcome again to our online service here with South Suburban Christian Church. My name is Ike Nicholson. I'm the senior pastor. We're in the middle of a series entitled All In. This is the third message of that series. Uh, the first uh, message we looked at, um, what does it mean when God calls us all in? Well, why would God do that, that when God calls us to be salt and light? Uh, last week we talked about where that begins, recognizing our all in this. But as we all know, there's strongholds, there's obstacles in our lives, in a whole host of areas of our lives. And so today we're looking at the strongholds that we have to overcome. Next week will be the final message in this series, and it'll be uh, discussing and thinking together and looking in God's Word about where God is calling us. And by us, I not only mean South Suburban, but the entire Church of Jesus Christ, all of God's people. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn to uh, Paul's second letter to, Corinth, to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 6 and verse 17. Now, if you're reading this on your own, I'd encourage you to read the entirety of 2 Corinthians. It's not a long book, uh, at least the entirety of, of chapter 10, but I'm going to be just focusing on these seven verses today. So beginning in 2 Corinthians Chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And then jumping over to verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. May God add his blessing and his understanding to this, the reading of his holy and perfect word. Amen. Well, when Paul writes, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. <laughs> well, there you go. In many ways, Paul lays it out there, doesn't he? Now, today's lesson comes from 2 Corinthians but in order to really understand its context, we have to know a little bit about uh, the whole of the second letter to Corinth. It really, it is a continuation, if you will, of Paul's first letter to Corinth, or 1 Corinthians. Now, these two letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, are written by the Apostle Paul to the church that's in Corinth. Now, Corinth is uh, not really that well-known these days, but it's a city that is west of Athens. So if you go near to the bottom of Greece and, and cross across the gulf 
and uh, Corinth is on the other side. And it's on the north side of a little landmass there with the Gulf of Corinth, which is this wonderfully naturally protected port city uh, that is perfect, not only for military navies, but for trade, trade routes as well. Uh, boats can come into that port. There's lots of uh, uh, places for boats to be repaired and, and kept up. And it really becomes a, 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 a trade hub, if you will, as well as a place that many sailors and boats and shipping and, and uh, folks who would engage in bringing spices from the east and, and all kinds of, uh, of products from around the known world, uh, Corinth becomes this place where folks will uh, be hospitable and, and host sailors and, and all kinds of tradesmen for the winter months. Well, because of that, uh, really Corinth becomes an economic powerhouse. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that it becomes an economic powerhouse is because it has distinguished itself from almost all other port cities that have naturally protected inlets. Uh, and it has entertainment, it has sporting events, it has religion. And by religion, I'm not really talking about the understanding of faith in our day, but the understanding of faith in the days of the Apostle Paul. One of the most unique things about Corinth is that it is known for the Isthmian Games. Now, you may not have heard that, or you may remember being taught that when you were in school, but the Isthmian Games are almost like the Olympic Games, except they, they occur in the off years of the Olympiads. And so, it really, in, in some ways, if, if the Olympiad is the national championships, the Isthmian Games are sort of the season games. And it would draw folks from all around Greece and all over the world to come and watch the rising sports stars that would eventually find themselves in the Olympiad. Well, because of the predominancy of the people that were there, predominantly a lot of men, the, the, the ratio of men to women was exceedingly strong on the male side. And because religion was a part of everyday life there, Corinth had adopted a religious tradition that was unique. They worshipped the goddess Aphrodite. In Rome, she was called Venus. You've probably heard of her. She's the goddess of love, the goddess of beauty, the goddess of fertility. They literally had thousands and thousands of priestesses who served the temple of Aphrodite. Now, just to be clear, these priestesses weren't holy women that walked around in prayer. Uh, they were, for all intents and purposes, prostitutes. So you can imagine that Corinthian morals were notoriously corrupt, especially in light of the corruption of morals that you would find throughout much of pagan uh, Rome or the Roman Empire. So when Paul writes his first letter to the church that is in that city, you can imagine what that letter is filled with. I mean, there, there are the natural admonitions that come about, you know, about how we should live and that we shouldn't be uh, taking part in, in, the, in the temple rituals, if you will, uh, of Aphrodite. But an overarching understanding of this preoccupation that the Corinthian Christians had with a life of pleasure or the life of the acquiring of wealth or of the possession of things. Does any of that sound familiar in our contemporary context? 
Another predominant issue that caused Paul great grief was this uh, distinction between the haves and the have-nots that happened in Corinth. The people who were there just to serve the needs of those that did have resources. And so much of Paul's first letter also talks about how the wealthy should not take positions of honor or uh, take positions that further mitigated the poor to a terrible life and a terrible lifestyle. I'm going to tell you, if you like drama, intrigue, and the worst that human beings are capable of, spend some time and read 1 Corinthians. It's astonishing. Well, apparently the church at Corinth had gotten their act kind of together. Uh, So Paul writes to them a second letter, 2 Corinthians. And the predominant focus of this letter is an encouragement, a positive reinforcement of this is great, you guys are doing good, you're, you're changing your ways. Now, if you're a history buff, Corinth sort of begins to drift down back into debauchery after the, the martyrdom, the death of Paul, and a guy named Clement, who is serving in Rome, has to write them another letter. But that's another sermon and another study altogether. Well, here in chapter 10 is probably the only stiff part of 2 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians is entirely stiff. He's not pulling any punches. But in 2 Corinthians, it's filled with, 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 with congratulations and encouragement. I mean, in 2 Corinthians, he's the perfect, loving pastor. Well, except for chapter 10. In chapter 10, and I don't want to go too much into this, but he has to offer a defense of his authority as an apostle. And one of the criticisms that's being lodged against Paul Uh, based on his first letter is is that Paul is just too hard he's too judgmental and so Paul offers here a defense and he caps it off beginning in verse 3 for though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power that is from God to destroy strongholds strongholds you know it's the only time in the new testament that that word strongholds is mentioned now it's mentioned somewhere between 66 to 94 times in the old testament depending on which english translation you have using about 11 different hebrew words which take on various meanings it can mean fortresses it can mean military bases It can even mean burial chambers or graves. In some cases, the word strongholds in the Old Testament, in most of the cases, are positive. That God is our fortress, that God is our stronghold, that our faith, that our our relationship with the people is a stronghold. And yet, in this New Testament passage, this is the only time the word is used, and it's not positive at all. As a matter of fact, it conveys the obstacles of what it means to live a life all in for the sake of Jesus Christ. My first point that I want to share with you today as we think about these strongholds is through Christ, we, the church, you and I, are called to destroy strongholds. Now, I've already shared with you how all of this is used in the Old Testament. And how this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used. But I want to point out to you, if you have your Bibles and you would look at that verse with me, notice how Paul delineates two significant tactics.
tactics in destroying these strongholds. Now, now look at verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And, and that's another way of saying this is an apologetic. Now, when I say apologetic, I'm not saying I'm sorry that we're believers. Uh, apologetic comes from the, the word apologius or with wisdom, with words, destroying the ideas that are against God with words, with wisdom, using our intellects to offer a rigorous defense, a rigorous action of engaging ideas and arguments that themselves are at war with God. What Paul is saying is that there are philosophies in the world. There are worldviews out there that seek to beat people down, that seek to distance us from God, that seek to destroy the understanding of God's revelation of himself through Jesus Christ. And Paul says we are at war with that. There's a second tactic that Paul says is important in attacking these strongholds. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, now there what Paul is talking about is, is a, a renewing of the mind as well as the heart. You remember that from last week. That our minds, that our minds ought to be fully focused on our relationship with Jesus Christ. That every thought we have, every decision we make is in cooperation, in relationship with our faith through which we confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives. Now, I really like the way Paul outlines this. It assumes, I think, a Christian worldview, a way of understanding the world, a way of understanding ourselves. Remember last week when we talked about how we are made in the image of God. That's a uniquely Christian worldview or Judeo-Christian worldview. The church that is, regardless of where we are or what day of the week it is, that is consistent and completely a part of who we are. I am not only a follower of Jesus Christ, but because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm also a part of His body, the bride of Christ, the church. We, not just me, we, just like we all are made in the image of God, we all are all in. So what are some of the strongholds we war against today? Some of the str now, I'm sure there's a whole list of strongholds that you might be able to, to think about. So I'm only going to be lifting up a few today. Some of the strongholds that I encounter on a regular basis, sometimes a daily basis, some of the strongholds that are a part of the conversations uh, that I'm sure you have experienced as well in discussing uh, how we relate to the world, how we relate to ideas at your place of work, at the family table, in your neighborhood. Well, one stronghold that I see a lot is viewing the church or seeing the church as a buffet instead of a body. In Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth in chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, you might want to write that down, go back and look at that later. So 1 Corinthians 12, 
12 through 27, he reminds us of one of the main ways we ought to understand our being a part of the church. For just, Paul writes, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. You know, I think today we stand as, uh, we, we find ourselves standing in opposition to the unity of the church. We have accepted the disunity of the church as something that isn't anything we can do anything about. We divide ourselves into denominations. We divide ourselves into races and nationality. We talk about rich churches and poor churches, traditional churches and contemporary churches, mainline churches, evangelical churches, Roman Catholic churches, Eastern Orthodox churches, churches with great children's programs, churches with great youth programs, children with great seniors programs. We see the church, the body, as an organization that provides a service rather than a body that needs my part, my function, my gifts, your gifts, in order to be what Christ called us to be. We, frankly, have come to see the church as a buffet where we want multiple options of things that we'd like to have or that we like, leaving the rest of the stuff to someone else. Now, we know there are things that have to be done. I mean, everybody understands that in every organization. But too often, in so many churches, we just simply hire folks to do the things that we don't want to do, instead of seeing the whole work of the church being for the whole church. I'll never forget years ago, a leader in a local church I was serving actually said to me, most of us don't like to visit the nursing homes because it's depressing, Pastor. That's why we hired you. <laughs> well, he didn't last long in leadership, and I think that was a good thing. God brings good things out of all circumstances. Whether the circumstance is good or bad, God makes further good come from it. And you know, I think that this pandemic that we have all been living through is helping us, that is, not only Christians, but the church, the Christians together, for us to see what is really important in the world, to see what is really important to us, to see what's really important to God, to see what's really important to what it means being the church. I think we've discovered that what's most important is relationships, not the ranking of sins that our neighbors may have committed, completely oblivious to our own actions. I think we have become more committed to discipleship and less to drama. I think we have become thankful to be deployed for ministry according to our gifts instead of demanding our way. I think we have become more devoted to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, not devouring the grace of Christ for our own satisfaction. We finally, I believe, as the church, as Christians, are being captured by the declaration of Christ that we are salt and light, that we 
are all in. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look with me again, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I think one of the greatest phrases that I've ever heard, and I can't remember the pastor that said this, but I remember hearing it in the sermon, we're not independent, we're not dependent, we are interdependent. And this brings me to my third point. In order to overcome the strongholds that seek to prevent us from being all in, we have to understand the difference between the prosperity gospel versus the paralysis gospel. You know, fear and guilt are huge strongholds in our individual lives. Fear and guilt stand in the way of effectively living into the reality that we are all in. It hinders us from having a generous spirit. It hinders us in receiving the blessings of God. People across the globe fear poverty doesn't matter where you live or who you are people fear sickness and death now in that christians are people in that we're human just like anybody else we too are susceptible to these same things these same fears many of us hoard our money we hoard our grace we hoard mercy fearful that we will be taken advantage of and you know what's interesting it seems like the wealthier we are, the more blessed we are, the nicer homes that we live in, the nicer cars that we drive, the nicer clothes that we wear seem to exponentially increase our fears of someday losing all of that stuff. It's ironic to me that those with less tend to fear less, and those with more tend to forget that our blessings are a result of a generous God who gives it to us. In the Gospel according to Luke, in chapter 12, verse 22, and in verse 31, we read, And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Now, I don't know about you. But I often see two trends that occur in the church today. One is something we call the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is that if you believe, if you live faithfully, if you donate generously, God will reward you with money and with wealth and with success. Listen, we are called to believe 
We are called to live with confidence that God is with us and to be a people who are generous in every aspect of our life, including financially. But it is not a transaction. God isn't some vending machine or or, or a slot machine that pays out big with every quarter we deposit. Blessings do come, but they aren't always blessings as defined by the world. My wife and I have sponsored a child with Compassion International with every child we have had. We pray for those children every night. And each of the children that we have sponsored share the same birthday of each of our children. And every night, our children, as we go around the family and offer our prayers, our children pray for those children we have adopted. God bless AC. God bless Grace Isaiah. God bless Ella. AC and Ella are from the Philippines, and Grace Isaiah lives in Tanzania. We've learned about their countries as a family. We've read their letters that they write to us once or twice, three times a year. We've even worried about them when we've heard about natural disasters or violent uprisings that have occurred near where they live. And each night when we gather for family prayer, they are remembered. They have become siblings to our children. It's usually our custom each evening that I end the family prayer, so my prayer is the last prayer of the evening. And I pray for the kids just like everyone else in the family does. Except I also add a petition in my prayer for the parents of each of those children, especially for the fathers. I know what it is like to be a dad, (laughs) and I cannot imagine the fear and the worry of those dads, of those three and now soon to be four children we sponsor throughout the world. All of the children that we sponsor are Christians. And so for me, I assume that their parents are probably Christians as well. Their focus or their intent or their faithfulness, I don't know. But I know this. It is a blessing for me to pray for those other dads, for those brothers in Christ, for my brothers and sisters who are trying to raise children in a situation that is significantly more challenging than any situation I might live in. Well, you know, those monthly sponsorships, they kind of add up after a while. It seems like with every child, when we add another child, so eight children now that we seek to pray for and provide something for their regular life. I have to tell you that on top of our regular tithe to South Suburban Christian Church, sometimes it can get a little tight. But let me share this with you. It has been a blessing. And not just the kind of blessing that prosperity preachers would suggest, but something immensely more valuable, the privilege of standing in solidarity and in prayer with a brother and sister in Christ that I have never met. That is our blessing. Well, on the other end of the spectrum from prosperity gospel is something that I've called the paralysis gospel. I I don't know if I've heard that somewhere else or even if that's a good name, but in my mind, it's the opposite of prosperity, paralysis. It's a perspective that is pervasive in the church, a perspective that God is out to get you if you mess up just one little bit. 
You know, it hurts me to think that some folks are so paralyzed with a fear of a vengeful God that they don't do anything. Like the story of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. There are many, like that third servant to whom the master had given one talent. And on the master's return, this servant, who had simply buried the talent, said to his master, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, take what is yours. You know, there are so many Christians who are so worried about their own salvation that they find themselves consumed with their own righteousness, that they never invest themselves into God's declaration to be all in. They're so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. Look, the whole purpose of salvation by grace is that Christ has taken care of our need for righteousness. He's got that for you. He's got that for me. Because you and I have made Christ Jesus Lord of our life, when God sees us, He sees the righteousness and obedience of His Son. My brother, my sister, you and I are free. Not to sin, but to serve. You're free. Not for selfishness, but for selflessness. You're free. Not to be fearful of a holy God, but to be fearless in storming the strongholds. These are the things that the divine weapons God has given us and Paul has declared to us are the ways and the future of his church as we storm and overcome those strongholds. You ready to do it? If you haven't made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, Savior of your life, would you do that today? Say yes to this question. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept Him as Lord and Savior. If you've made that declaration in your hearts, will you let us know by clicking on the button if you're on our online.church platform? If you're watching or listening to us from another platform, will you send us an email at office at southsuburban.com that we can celebrate and walk with you and storm the strongholds together by God's grace for God's glory? Will you pray with me? Merciful God, May the strongholds of this war, world not strike fear in our hearts, but because of the gifts and the authority you have given to us, we might be strengthened to stand not only with one another, but with other great servants throughout history, even with the Apostle Paul himself, with the renewing of our minds and the renewing of our hearts, we will recognize and accept your declaration that we are all in.